Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney, and this is Caffeinated Crimes. We hope you guys are still here after that very long Charles Manson two-parter. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it and you did not fall asleep in the middle. I feel like it was pretty good, so hopefully you didn't fall asleep, but it might have been a bit long. You may- Maybe you had to break it up into multiple parts, you know? Mm-hmm. It was pretty long, so if you listen like on a commute at the gym... You're looking at like three or four commute gym <laughs> sessions here. So, um, yeah, so you had quite a bit of content there for those two weeks. Or maybe you guys have very long commutes and you're like, this was like my entire commute. So, you know, that's very who knows? true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess we're just going to. Oh, nope, you go first. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> So we are going to get into a few updates. So we kind of mentioned in Charles Manson part one about Casey White and Vicky White, no relation, just the same last name, um, and how they were on the run. Well, by the time that episode aired, they were found, of course, I think on the day maybe it aired. I don't remember. Um, So sorry about that. But (laughs) they were found on May 10th in Evansville, Indiana. And so... Casey does claim he really wanted, like, a shootout, um, but officers did kind of just force them to wreck in a ditch to stop them from, like, because it looked like it was about to be, like, a car chase. Mm-hmm. And Vicky was found dead in the car from a gunshot wound to the head. Um, initially, investigators think it might be self-inflicted, and Casey kind of said, like, oh, she shot herself. But we also know Casey's not a great guy, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. With that one, but it also could be Vicky being like, I put my entire life on the line for this, and I'm a, I was a correctional officer for years, and I know what's about to happen, so I'm just going <laughs> to peace out. <laughs> just so. going to go on out here. Yeah, they reported, like, very early on that it was self-inflicted. I'm like, how did they determine that, um, like, the, yeah, I it was, like, know. the day of or something? I don't know if maybe they saw her and, like, saw it happen or something and they're just not telling Mm. people because there was like a chase kind of um or if they're going based off of casey's statement because he was like oh he said like my wife which they weren't really married Mm. he just said my wife uh like Mm -hmm. shot herself or whatever it wasn't me which is kind Mm. of suspicious to me but um yeah they had paid for a hotel for a 14 day stay so they hadn't they had intended to be there for a little bit um, they had a lot of wigs, they had a lot of guns, like AK-47s, some hand pistol things, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and also had $29,000 in cash. So clearly they were wow. intending to stay on the road for a really long time. So mm-hmm. somebody did see them at a hotel, tip off the police, and they were caught. Yeah, that was just a a wild, you know, few days between like mm-hmm. them... It's like, what it was the like hell's 11 days. Next? Yeah, they were yeah. on the run, which is pretty crazy with how many cameras we have and social media getting information out everywhere quickly. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, another crazy story, um, and this actually was sent to me um, by one of my friends and one of our listeners, Sarah. So, thanks, Sarah, for sending this because this is wild. Um, so, police were called to the home of 60 year old Joseph McKinnon in Trenton, South Carolina, because his neighbors saw an unresponsive man in the yard. So, like, something's. Something's wrong over here. And so when they arrived, they did find him dead with the body of 65-year-old Patricia Ruth Dent, who was wrapped in trash bags in a freshly dug grave. So 
Autopsy reports did show that McKinnon had suffered a heart attack and Patricia had been strangled, so the two were dating and lived together and McKinnon had died, nope, and McKinnon had killed Patricia and then died of a heart attack while burying her. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. that's some real quick karma right there, but. We talk about why serial killers stop when they get older and maybe this is why. <laughs> They're that like, true. I don't know what to do here. I'm old. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the stamina to to keep this going. Yeah, so that was um, just crazy. Mm-hmm. That is like just thinking like, oh, this guy's unresponsive, and it's like, oh, huh, there's the body he was digging up or burying. Right. Ugh, wow. And in pretty big true crime news, this is a case. Um, from like 2009, uh, Brittany Drexel, and she went missing in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, she was from New York on, I think it was like a spring break kind of thing. Um, huge mystery about what happened to her because she did just disappear. No one had heard from her. Um, but recently, um, a man apparently did allegedly confess and de- led investigators to her remains on his property. Um, so he had been a person of interest in the case since 2012, um, but they never really had anything they could just like say for sure was him. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of theories in this case too. There was sex trafficking theories. There were the people she was with theories. I mean, just countless theories. Um, yeah. And Richard Moody, um, I think I said his name is the guy who confessed. Um, he was also a registered sex Raymond. What I, I put said Richard. Days. Yeah, well, I put Raymond at the top and Richard at the bottom. Oh, I see. <laughs> so. Cool. Raymond, <laughs> so, Richard, who knows? <laughs> who fucking cares? He's a murderer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Raymond Moody, uh, he was a registered sex offender. Um, he previously spent time in jail for the 1983 rape and abduction of a nine-year-old girl. So, he had this history of just Ugh. kind of being a piece of shit. And now he mm-hmm. confessed that he did kidnap Brittany, sexually assault her, and kill her and his her remains were on his property so it seems and he confessed so it's pretty pretty clear that he's the one <laughs> yeah, that did it pretty pretty obvious here um do you do you know i've only seen like the highlights of this update but do you know if like was he under pressure to confess like had he been in because re- i know he was a suspect but like was there something recent that like led him to confess or did he just kind of go to police out of nowhere not that I really saw. I think I saw that mm-hmm. he might have been arrested on something, like, unrelated. Mm. Or maybe something related. I don't know. There was, like, something, like, he was arrested for. I wonder if I still have the thing up. <laughs> it didn't say. Because it just said yeah, on I didn't know. May 4th he was arrested on an obstruction charge. And mm-hmm. then on May 11th led them to the thing, to the... Hmm. But, yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, who really knows, um... Maybe it was just, like, weighing on him. Like, who knows? I mean, it Mm -hmm. has been 12 years, so. (laughs) Yeah. And then now that you're thoroughly depressed, we're going to switch gears (laughs) a little bit. And we're going to tell you that we have just recently redid our Patreon structures, I guess Mm -hmm. is a way to word it. So, basically, we just kind of altered some things around. Um, Hopefully, like, we're making... I'll just explain them all. So... $3 tier now, you get all the bonus audio episodes. So all those Mm -hmm. bonus episodes we've been talking about that used to only be at $5 are now open to $3. Um, You also still get part two the same week as part one. 
and you also get access to our Discord, and you get a shout out in an upcoming episode. So that's all you get in part three, which is quite a bit because we have about like 20 or so audio bonuses on there. Um, so then in tier five for the $5 a month, um, you get everything in that previous tier, plus you get video episodes. So we're gonna start doing some of those and we have some already available. So then at the $10 a month tier, you get everything I listed in those two previous tiers. And now we've officially opened up our monthly Google Hangout to the $10 Patreons. So you get all of that. Um, and you also get an exclusive pin and sticker that's a Caffeinated Crimes pin and sticker and you get that as soon as you sign up. And then in the $20 a month tier, you get everything in those previous tiers, everything I've said so far, and you also get a quarterly gift. So yes, every three months, we'll send you something. We've sent caffeinated crime mugs. We've sent succulents. We've sent books. We've sent like a bunch of random stuff. And we're always trying to come up with new ideas. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the new structure. So if any of that sounds good to you, like please go to patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes. And we're also running a special in the summer uh, until August. So starting now until August, if you sign up in any of these tiers, any of the four tiers, you get to be a part of our monthly Google Hangouts for those four months. So you'll also get access to that, which is previously only used to only be accessible in $20, now it's 10 and 20, but during the summer, it's all y'all, so. Yes, and that goes for our current patrons too, so we're not yes. gonna kick you guys out, <laughs> and yeah. any of our current <laughs> patrons are also included in that, but anyone that joins in any of the tiers from now through August will get that monthly hangout with us, so if you want to chat with us about all kinds of random stuff that comes up, you know, head on over and check out all that cool stuff that we got. Yeah, and if you think of anything in any of those tiers that would make you like want to sign up that we don't include that wouldn't be too, too much work on us because we're busy, <laughs> um, please let us know and we can do that too. Yes, and speaking of Patreon, we do want to give a shout out to our newest patron, Katie. Um, so we love Katie. We have both known her for a very long time um, and she's listening to us from like day one. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for joining our Patreon and getting access to all of another 22-ish episodes of us. So yeah. Yeah, she was texting me, and she was like, I'm finally at a place where I can actually listen to this. She was like, I was getting caught up, so now I'm, I'm good. But yeah, we have quite a few bonuses there. Um, they're a little bit shorter than especially Charles Manson. <laughs> um, but yeah, go check those out. They're super fun. They're usually a little bit more lighthearted. But yeah, so we actually did an episode last week where we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in relation to the Charles Manson case. So in case you three and a half hours of Charles Manson wasn't enough... <laughs> We got more for you. (laughs) Yes. And now that we've gone over all of that fun stuff, and also hopefully that cleared up some confusion, because I know sometimes people are like, what is Patreon? What do I get? What? You know, so patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes. You can see everything written out there. You can subscribe. You can join us for one month, a few months. You can Mm -hmm. come and go. We have some people that will be here for a few months, and they'll leave for a few months, and then they'll come back. So, you know, whatever works for you. We appreciate anything that you can support, and we love giving you guys that little bit of extra content. And we tried to make that $3 tier more, like, inclusive, because that is Mm -hmm. probably more affordable to most people, and it's like, Mm -hmm. please come sign up. Only, what, $36 a year? Like, come on, what you doing? Do it. (laughs) So, to get into today's episode... 
So our sources for this week are onlyinyourstate.com, um, the Encyclopedia of Unsolved Crimes, findagrave.com, the Breaking Homicide episode 5 of season 1, Case File episode 62 called The Honolulu Strangler, and also worldpopulationreview.com. So Honolulu is the capital of Hawaii and is located on the island of Oahu. So Oahu is a smaller island, only about 597 square miles. So to better understand that, it's about 44 miles long and 30 miles wide. So pretty small. Hawaii is known for its beautiful beaches and weather, but Honolulu is a pretty major city. Um, Around 340,000 people live there, and the history of how Hawaii became the 50th U.S. state is very long and fucked up, Um, but we're not going to go too much into that right now. But if you do want an episode now to listen to about that, um, listen to Bailey Sarian's Dark History, Episode 31, How the U.S. Stole Hawaii. She does go into a really great deep dive on it, so if you want to learn more about that side before we get into the specific case we're talking about today. So Hawaii really is a paradise, but they do still experience crime, um, especially Oahu and Honolulu because there are big tourist areas, um, so robberies, things like that are more common. Um, And Hawaii is also known for its military base, so there are a lot of military people who are, you know, just in and out in a few years. Same with tourists, people that, you know, not locals who are there consistently kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the 1980s, Oahu did experience their first serial killer, and it is still unsolved today. So in 1985, Vicki Gail Purdy was living on Oahu, um, and she was 25 and married to Gary Purdy, who was an Army helicopter pilot. So Gary and Vicki lived in Mililani, which is about 30 minutes from Honolulu, near the base where Gary worked. So they had been married for five years, but had only been living in Hawaii for 16 months at this time. Vicky was born in North Carolina, but had moved to Georgia by the time she was in high school, and Vicky and Gary actually met when Vicky had married Gary's cousin at the age of 16, but that marriage did not work out. Um, so by high school graduation, Vicky and Gary were together, and they did get married at age 20 when Gary entered the army. So she was often described as feisty and tough, even though like she was a pretty small person. And Gary said they had a few rough patches, but they were really happy while they were in Hawaii. And Vicky was very excited to live in Hawaii, but she did struggle a bit getting used to the more like laid back lifestyle on the islands. Um, she was really outgoing and just like on the go. So it was a little bit harder for her to adjust, but she did eventually get a job at a local video store in Mililani. So Vicky enjoyed visiting Waikiki to go clubbing with friends. Um, so Waikiki is where a lot of like the nightlife is. And so she left to go clubbing with friends on May 29th, 1985. And she usually took the bus, but she decided to drive this night. Gary said she was wearing a yellow jumpsuit with a red belt. And he thought she was going to return home around 9 p.m., which is like my kind of clubbing, like home by nine. That sounds perfect. <laughs> Um, She was last seen by the taxi driver who drove her to the Shorebird Hotel around midnight to retrieve her car. So obviously, Gary thought she was going to be home around 9, so at like midnight, she's still not home. He's getting pretty worried. Um, He was sending a lot of messages to her pager because remember, it is the 80s. Um, And the next morning, he went to Waikiki to search for her. So he did find her car still parked at the Shorebird Hotel parking lot, um, and he said that it appeared to have a new dent in it. 
And unfortunately, her body was found that morning on an embankment at Kehi Lagoon. Um, she was found partially nude with her hands behind her back, and there did appear to be some form of sexual assault, and months went by without any leads. So Gary ended up leaving Oahu and said he would only return if someone was brought to justice because he didn't feel that he had a reason to stay there without Vicky. Yeah, especially if it's not, like, where you've lived your whole life and you're, like, yeah. kind of just stationed here and you're just, like, well, now I've been here and I was only here with my wife and now she's murdered. I don't want to be here anymore. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to leave now. In January of 1986, Regina Sakamoto was a 17-year-old student at Lelahua High School. I could not find the pronunciation, so I hope that is I think sort that of sounds correct. right. Okay. <laughs> um, she was planning to attend Hawaii Pacific University later that year. Regina was born in Kansas and moved to Hawaii after her mom remarried. And her mom and stepdad eventually separated, and by 1986... She was living with her mom and brother in Wapahu, which is a little south of Mililani. Um, her brother Omar described her as fun-loving and said that she liked to help everybody. He was about seven to eight years younger than her, so she would babysit him and just like always take care of him, get him what he needed. And she was also described as smart and just friends with everyone. On January 14th, 1986, she missed the bus and called her boyfriend from a payphone at 7.15 a.m. to tell him she would be late. Um, she was seen by a witness at the payphone near her bus stop, and her body was discovered the next day, partially unclothed, hands bound, and strangled. There did also appear to be some form of sexual assault. Omar was in the fifth grade when his sister was murdered, and Regina's mom is the one who had to identify the body, and Omar says that she really just lost it after that and was never really 100%, you know, could, couldn't really get over that, which I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Um, this case did lead police to link the murders together because it was a nearly identical M.O., um, but there are some reports that some police didn't believe this link. They're like, no, they have nothing to do with each other, even though they were found a mile apart and about seven months apart and very similar characteristics. Yeah. Um, but they're like, Vicky was older and out at night, Regina was younger and waiting in the morning for a bus. So they're like, I don't know, um, but they would definitely connect these cases soon. So two weeks later, on January 30th, 21-year-old Denise Hughes did not show up for work. So she worked as a secretary for a telephone company and usually commuted by bus. Um, she had lived in Hawaii for five months and was originally from Everett, Washington, which is just north of Seattle. And Denise had gone on vacation to Hawaii and met a young sailor named Charles who was stationed there. So they fell in love, got married in Seattle, and moved to Pearl City on Oahu. Um, she was described as hardworking and was well-liked. She'd only been at her current job for a short time, but she was highly valued there. They said that she always had a smile on her face, and she had actually already earned a raise, even though she had not worked there for very long. So she was just well-liked, very good at her job. Um, people really, you know, enjoy being around her. So on January 29th, Denise and Charles spent the evening together and went out for a nice meal. And on January 30th, Denise got ready for work and was wearing a blue dress and Charles had already left for work by the time she left. Her body was found in the Moana Lua stream by three fishermen on February 1st. Um, she also had signs of sexual assault and her hands were bound behind her back. Um, so this is now the third murder. So police are concerned that they have a serial killer on their hands. So they did form a task force and called this man the Honolulu Strangler or the Honolulu Rapist. And this was Hawaii's first known serial killer. 25-year-old 
Louise Madero's had gone to Kauai to meet her family after the death of her mother. So Louise was a single mother of two young boys and was three months pregnant. She was also described as hardworking as well as independent. Um, she was from Kauai, but was a bit rebellious as a teenager and did move to Oahu when she was 16. Um, she had a daughter who was put into foster care, but she was fighting really hard to get her back. Um, she had grown estranged to her family, but she bonded with them the day of her mother's funeral, and her sister had urged her to wait until the morning to go back home, but she really wanted to get back to her kids. So on March 26, 1986, Louise took a red eye back to Oahu and told her family that she would take a bus from the airport to her home in Wapahu. Um, so she got off the plane and was never seen again. They believed that she was taken by someone from the bus stop, and her decomposing body was found near Wakili Stream by road workers on April 2nd. So her body was found in the same manner as Vicky, Regina, and Denise. So police now tried to set up sting operations around both the Honolulu International Airport and Kehi Lagoon. On April 12th, police tried to be proactive and released some information to the newspaper. So they told women, especially at bus stops, to be alert and be on the lookout because they believed that they had a serial predator on their hands now and that he was clearly escalating. They did also release a sketch of a possible van that had been described by multiple witnesses. So with help from the FBI and the Green River Task Force, the Honolulu Police Department set up a 27-person task force to find the Honolulu Strangler. So because Oahu had never dealt with a serial killer, they were eager to reach out for help. They're using these other task force, the FBI, people that have, you know, been through this before. So the killer was profiled as a Caucasian man in his late 30s or early 40s. They believed he was an opportunist attacking vulner vulnerable women as opposed to a killer who stalked his victims. So they're like, I don't think that he like, it, it wasn't like a BTK situation where he mm -hmm. like planned them out and everything. It was like, oh, you are, you know, going to your car after clubbing. You're waiting for a bus in the morning in a deserted area. Those types of opportunities. Um, it was also thought that he lived or worked in the area of the attack, so either Wapahu or Sand Island. They believed it was unlikely that he already had a criminal record. Um, they did believe that he knew the areas well where the women were abducted and found. Um, they also believed he may be experiencing relationship issues. Um, so in the Breaking Homicide episode, they do have the former police detective, a former police detective and forensic psychologist come in to try to re-examine these cold cases. Um, so the detective in this episode was Derek Lavasser. Um, he also was previously on the reality show Big Brother and he won in 2014. Um, and you can really see his reality show days in the series. <laughs> so. Yeah, just like some of like the moments you can kind of see yeah. him like... Which I get, like, that happens a lot with, like, these ID channel shows, too. Yeah. They're like, amp it up, make it more interesting. Like, Kevin was getting so pissed when we were watching it. Yeah, it, it definitely gets annoying because you're like, I, I just want to hear the information. I don't need you to, like, make this into a, like, we're, mm -hmm. we're already scared. We're already, like, disgusted. You yeah. don't need to make it, you know. But they did get to speak to Louis Souza, who was a former member of the Honolulu Police Department and the leader of the task force put together to catch the Honolulu Strangler. Um, so the police in general didn't really give much information because it is still classified as an open case, so they can't tell you too much. Um, he did reveal, however, that Vicky was bound with parachute cord behind her back. He also said it was unclear whether she had been sexually assaulted because she had been found in the water, but they did assume so because she was partially nude. 
Um, he also revealed that all of the victims were bound with parachute parachute cord, which was pretty rare. Um, and the way that he had bound the hands was all the same. So it's like the same knot, the same tie, mm-hmm. the same type of cord. Um, and the police had not released to the media about the victims being bound or the material or style. So it's clear this is the same person. Like, it's, this isn't a copycat that heard about it and is going out and doing the same thing because it's, like, exactly the same. And according to Souza also... That information was never made until the public until he told them on this TV show. Mm-hmm. So, like, all these years later. And he was like, we'd never see someone use parachute cord. Like, that's pretty, pretty, like, I've never heard of that either. And, like, yeah, in the episode, he does show, like, how they tied. But I did not know how to write that out. That would make any sense. <laughs> so just know it was the same. <laughs> yeah, just a very specific type of knot. He also said that Regina was tied to the rocks by an electrical cord to her foot. So Louise had seemed like an outlier because her body was found further out, but Louis did confirm that she had been bound with parachute cord as well, which again was not public knowledge. Um, So her body was about 12 miles away where the other victims were like five to 10 minutes from each other. Um, But again, some of these very specific characteristics are like, we're pretty sure this is the same person. Mm -hmm. So 36-year-old Linda Pesci was from Northern California. Um, She came from a working-class background. In her 20s, after studying psychology, she actually hitchhiked across the U.S. alone. So she was known to be, like, tough and pretty streetwise. She moved to Hawaii to work as a dancer and then moved to Guam also to be a dancer. And she did return to Honolulu, where she got married and had a daughter. Um, She was very happy and carefree. Um, She did really change after having her daughter. Um, She eventually separated from her husband and moved in with a friend, and her roommate and friend said that she left on the morning of April 29th and was expected to be home late due to a work meeting. She was a sales rep that was on the south side of Kehi Lagoon between downtown Honolulu and Waikiki. Um, Her roommate ended up reporting her missing because she had not come back and didn't show up for work the next day, and her roommate knew immediately that something was wrong because she would never leave without her daughter. But the police weren't too alarmed because they're like, oh, we've had a few reports of missing women who they thought were like victims of this serial killer, but they later turned up safe. So I'm sure it's the same thing with her. She's fine. Um, They were hoping that since Linda had her own car and wasn't riding the bus that she would turn up. Um, But they did find Linda's car pulled off to the side of the Nimitz Highway Viaduct, which was about 15 minutes from Linda's work. And investigators now felt this, like, huge sense of dread. They're like, okay, this is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, They thought maybe her car had broken down because she had been having car issues before. And her keys and wallet were missing, and there was a bus stop nearby. So they thought it was likely that she had broken down and walked to the bus stop. So they did set up a roadblock where Linda's car was found to stop all motorists to see if they had seen Linda or her vehicle. Um, A few witnesses said they did see her around 7 p.m. the night she went missing, and the car was pulled over in the exact spot that it was found with the hazards on. So witnesses said they saw a light-colored van with lettering on the back window and a white or mixed-raced man with Linda's car. So police called a press conference and asked for the police's help, and they really did suspect foul play at this point and thought she could be another victim of the Honolulu Strangler. So on May 3rd, a 43-year-old white mechanic, Howard Gay, came forward to police telling them a psychic told him there was a body at Sand Island. Um, He said he'd gone down there, like the psychic said, and he did found some, like, bones or a body. Um, And he said he knew Linda Pesci because she tried to sell him a pager because she was a sales rep. 
Mm-hmm. So police checked Linda's workbook and they did see his details inside and Linda had written his name down the day she had disappeared. So Howard took police mm. to the exact location, but he was wrong. <laughs> so they were like, hmm. mm, you said you knew where a body was. There's nothing here. Um, so he took them all over, but he stayed away from one particular spot. He was like, oh, da, da, the, the psychic didn't say over there. She said over here. Mm-hmm. So police then moved their search to the spot he was avoiding, and they did find Linda's body. Um, she was naked with her hands tied behind her back. And on May 6th, police had a news conference and told the public about the reports of the van by Linda's car, as well as the FBI's psychological profile. Um, he also said there was physical evidence found, but didn't really say what kind. It's just kind of trying to be like, well, we have something, you know, like, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but we have something. <laughs> Um, so Oahu is very worried. Again, this is a small island. Like we told you, it's like 30 miles by like 40 miles. Like it's tiny. Yeah. Um, and there is a really, like locals are very close. There's a huge sense of community there. Um, they mm-hmm. usually feel like family, even, you know, if you're not like blood related, like you'll call, they call, usually call everyone cousin and, you know, it's mm-hmm. a big family atmosphere. Um, So now they're getting very worried because this is a small island and this person is attacking women. And it's not like you can, you know, be like, oh, it's fine. Like, we're in a big city. It's like we're on a small island. (laughs) Yeah. And you're also thinking whoever's doing this could be someone I know. Yeah. Because this is such a small island. Is is likely someone that you know or have some kind of Mm -hmm. connection to. So police were still watching Howard around the clock. So Howard did fit the profile, the FBI profile very well. And he'd also inserted himself into the investigation, which is a red flag as well. Um, He also had the van. And once the police conference mentioned that there was lettering on the back windows, police watched him scratch off flying tigers from the back of his van. So Uh, a lot of red flags. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, a little bit. So he was a firm suspect, and he was brought in for questioning on May 9th, and he was questioned for eight hours. He barely moved. He sat with his arms crossed, his head down. Um, He did take a polygraph test, but those results were inconclusive. Um, He was, like, officially arrested, but his girlfriend set him up with an attorney who was like, stop talking. Just stop talking. And he did. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, also a $25,000 reward for information was put out by a private business. Um... So we're going to have a little background on Howard Gay now. Like, who's this man? Um, Howard was described by neighbors as helpful, a friendly gentleman who was kind and outgoing. Um, He was always willing to help people. So police looked into why Linda had written his name down in her notebook, and they found that she was responsible for pitching the product to businesses near the airport, including Flying Tigers, which is where Howard worked. Um, So some of the information is from Breaking Homicide, where Derek took a call with Howard's ex-wife. She didn't want to be on camera, so all of this is him relaying what she told him. So I just kind of wanted to preface that. I'm not necessarily saying that he's making stuff up, but we Mm -hmm. are hearing this, like, from him, from her, and not from her. Yeah, like secondhand, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to believe that this show would make all this up, but I just want to say that just in case. (laughs) Yeah. 
So she said they had met in 1968 and they were college sweethearts. They lived in California for 10 years and had two children. And in 1980, Tiger Airlines transferred Howard to Hawaii. Um, They were still married, but his wife and two sons don't go with him. They just were like, no, we're going to stay here, I guess. Like, y'all stay here. Um, And they didn't really see him often. She said she did fly herself and her two sons out to surprise him, which is a big trek. Hawaii's pretty far out there, even from California. That's like a probably like, I don't know, four-hour flight at least. Six-hour flight maybe. I don't know. A good enough flight. Um, (laughs) So she's taking her and her two kids to surprise him. Um, But when they got there, he didn't act happy at all and almost seemed like upset. He wouldn't let them go to the house and made them stay at a hotel. And two days later, he was like, go back to California. Yeah, it's not suspicious at all. Totally normal behavior. No. So in June 1986, which is after Linda's murder, he goes back to California to see his son graduate. And three days after his graduation, his son was killed in an accident on the side of a road changing a tire. Um, And after his son's death, he became like a born-again Christian. They said he really like decided to turn his life around and be more religious. Um, it's also said Howard had a vasectomy. This will come up later. I promise I'm not just randomly talking about this man's <laughs> vasectomy for no reason. Um, just a little fun does, fact about him in yeah. case you needed to know, you know. Where is he from? All this stuff. You don't need to know. Just know he has a vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> so also his ex-wife does not believe he has anything to do with the murders because he has been a long suspect. She doesn't believe he had anything to do with it. Again, this is all from the wife to Derek to TV. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does seem confirmed by both Howard's ex-wife and Howard's girlfriend, um, they both said that he engaged in bondage activity, um, and they had allowed him to tie, like, their hands behind their back and have sex with them. Um, they also both described him kind of as a smooth talker, and his girlfriend said they'd been arguing a lot lately, and she claims every instance of him leaving lined up with the murders. I fight with Kevin sometimes. I guess we don't, like, leave But I could not remember dates. I will say that. (laughs) Yeah. No, not at all. Especially because he wasn't, like, a suspect till the last one. So Mm -hmm. I'm just like, anyway. But that's what she said. Maybe she had a a diary and she... I mean, that is true. Like, Howard left again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this, like, did, like, stick out to the police since the victims had been bound. So there is kind of, like, a history, you know, he does like that. Um, And then... Also, the girlfriend saying on the nights they fought, he left the house, which is allegedly the nights of the murders. So they're like, okay, more red flags here. Great. Like, we got our guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Howard lived in Iwa Beach, which was about four miles away from where Louise was sat, found. And it's also along the path if you were coming from the airport to Howard's house. So they thought Louise was kind of like an outlier, like she didn't fit along. But if we are claiming it is Howard, she was on like, a path that he drove every day and really Mm -hmm. isn't that far. Yeah. So, two months after Howard's arrest, a woman did come forward claiming she saw Linda with a man on the night of the murder. She did successfully pick Howard out of a photo lineup, and police were like, oh, we got this now. Like, we got our man. We got her picking him out of a lineup. However, the woman did not want to testify because she was scared that he had seen her and that he might come after her next. And she was like, I don't feel safe. I don't want to testify. Another story also came out about 
possibly Howard after his arrest. So Naomi was an assistant manager and waitress at the La Marina Sailing Club. And she said he'd come in two or three times or more a week for lunch. Um, He was always police. (laughs) He was always polite, but he would kind of watch her everywhere she went. Like, so when she was like filling up other people's water, giving their food, like she could always feel him kind of watching her. And he eventually did get bold, um, and he would eventually notice that she walked to the bus stop, which was about half a mile away. So he offered to give her a ride home, and she said no. And at first, he was kind of nice about it, and then he got really aggressive. Um, she said she was more tired than usual that day. Later, she did realize she was six weeks pregnant, so that kind of explains why she was suddenly just exhausted. Um, and he just kept insisting and insisting, and she was like, I just had a bad feeling. I didn't want this guy to give me a ride home. So another regular who was a part of a local bike gang noticed that she was like agitated and she explained like this guy won't leave me alone. He keeps insisting on giving me a ride home. So this guy's like, how about I give you a ride home? I'll take you safely to your door. Like, you know me, like all that. Um, So Naomi says like something about this guy just made her feel safer. And so she did let that guy drive her home and that the guy uh howard she claims was watching and got very mad and like stood up and slammed his drink down and stormed out and was like really furious um and a few weeks later she heard in the news that the honolulu strangler strangler had been arrested and she found out that the strangler had the white cargo van and so did the guy that she had encountered breaking homicide did show her pictures and she said it did really look like howard gay from her memory she believes it was howard mm-hmm So a lot of this sounds like pretty damning, but all the evidence we have like really like points to Howard, Um, you know, it kind of looks like him. So he inserted himself into the investigation. He lived and worked near the victims were abducted and found, got into fights with his girlfriend, left on nights that supposedly lined up with the murders, has a van that matches the description. Witnesses say um, FBI profilers did believe the suspect was a, was a smooth talker because none of the victims really had like defensive wounds so it seemed like somehow he'd gotten them to get in his car or whatever and feel safe um and both mm-hmm. his ex-wife and girlfriend confirmed he was um you know a smooth talker again had a vasectomy it comes up later um <laughs> except now we'll explain it actually just kidding I read that <laughs> it will come up now <laughs> yeah Okay, I'm just going to re-say that. So his ex-wife also said he had a vasectomy, so we brought that up. I remember I said that we weren't just talking about his dick for no reason. (laughs) I'm going to explain it now. So on the victim's autopsies, very rarely was sperm found. So only on Vicky and Linda were, like, small amounts of sperm found. Um, However, acid phosphate... (laughs) However, acid phosphate phosphatase whatever, was found on Vicky, <laughs> Regina, and Linda. Unfortunately, Louise and Denise were too decomposed to get an accurate swab. So what is acid phosphatase that I can't pronounce? Um, it is Clearly, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, I know what it is. I can't pronounce it, though. <laughs> so it's an enzyme that is present in the male ejaculate. So she had very high levels, but no sperm. Um, so that could mean that the suspect had a vasectomy or wasn't ejaculating a lot of sperm due to a health condition. Um, and it is commonly known in vasectomies that sometimes one or two sperm like can still present themselves. It's not a hundred, a hundred percent 
mm-hmm. like nothing comes out. Um, sometimes you can have like one or two. So the fact that there was basically male ejaculate found, but no sperm did believe them to think it could be someone with a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have DNA testing, but they did blood typing. Um, Howard did match, but it was also the most common blood type in the world. So probably two billion other people also matched. <laughs> um, not, not a great indicator. So this didn't necessarily eliminate him, but it's not like, oh, it's him. Um, and it's all pretty good circumstantial evidence. But again, it's only circumstantial evidence. And eventually the prosecutor felt they did not have enough to go to trial. Um, all of it together kind of seems like a smoking gun, but you can raise a lot of reasonable doubt about all of this. And another possible thing to know is there could be other suspects. And there was a murder a little before Vicky's murder. So 19-year-old Lisa Owl was last seen on January 21st, 1982. And 10 days after her car was found in Kahlua, um, her body was found by a jogger and his dog, on Tantalus, which is a state park in Mikey um, Her body was naked and decomposing. However, Lisa was not bound. Um, and no one was ever charged for her murder either. And so they believe she was abducted from where her car was found. And multiple witnesses, including another police officer, said they possibly saw a police vehicle behind her that night. And her car had just been abandoned and her purse was in the passenger seat. So that's kind of like... If you're leaving your car, why would you leave your purse if you weren't, you know? So Gary Diaz was a major with the Honolulu Police Department. And if reports about a police or vehicle are true, they do believe the suspect could be a police officer or impersonating a police officer. So apparently Honolulu Police Department used to allow police officers to drive their own vehicles. So there was no standard police vehicle then. Wow. That's Which, insane. Yeah, I guess because it's such a small island, and I guess then they were like, we don't really need police that much. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that did help because they had details of a specific car that only a few people like could have been driving. Um, and there's no record of Lisa being stopped. So Gary mm-hmm. believes that she may have been arrested for something like made up. Because why else would you leave your purse in the car? You know, if you're being arrested, yeah. obviously you can't bring a purse. Um and, you know, you wouldn't just leave it if someone's, if your car broke down, someone's offering you a ride, you're not going to leave it. Um, and yeah. so that officer, eventually, they did find out the officer they believe had stopped her. He wasn't charged. He resigned and he left the state. Hmm. Okay. So they were kind of looking at that one because they were like, it's a little suspicious. And then all of this came out and they were like, oh, so now you hmm. have a corrupt police department too. <laughs> oh, great. Yikes. <laughs> So it doesn't really seem like the same person who killed Lisa, killed Vicky, Regina, Denise, Louise, and Linda, but clearly a police officer could use their power to lure women into cars and they could just be driving their own car. Um, or they could be impersonating a police officer because there's no standard vehicle. So it's like, who knows what kind of vehicle is pulling you over? Yeah, because it's like even with undercover cars, it's like, oh, I don't feel great about this, but you kind of mm-hmm. recognize that it looks like a police car. But if you can shape. just... Yeah. Yeah. But if you can just be driving anything, which I feel like they're kind of leaning towards that way again, because, like, now that you're driving your own car, but so many police departments have different types of cars now that mm-hmm. it's like from one area to the next, you can't recognize an undercover car. So... Yeah. 
which I will say when I was in Hawaii, something I appreciated a lot. Anytime a police vehicle, they do have standard police vehicles now, at least from what I saw. (laughs) Anytime they were driving around, they did have the blue lights permanently on. So they weren't trying to like sneak around. They were doing what police is supposed to do, which is like be present and be like, if you need me, I'm here and not hide, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not have ghost cars. (laughs) Exactly. Like in other countries where they're like lime green and like super noticeable. Mm -hmm. So that way it's like, hey, I'm here to help you, you know, versus Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, like you would drive you would see the traditional police vehicle and his lights. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be flashing, but they would be permanently blue. So you could see it from all around. stand out. That's nice. So a big question in this case was always, how did he get these women in his car with them? And since none of the victims had substantial self-defense wounds. Um, so this did lead to another possible suspect, William Stevens. He was in the military at the time and stationed in Hawaii. And he was arrested in 1989 in Seattle as a real suspect for Green River Killer. So we got a Green River Killer connection now. Wow. Um, and they did find police and military uniforms. So he was in the military, but why do you have police uniforms? Mm-hmm. But nothing else really panned out over this. Like, no other evidence, like, really pointed to him. Mm-hmm. And no more cases were ever linked to the Honolulu Strangler again. Um Police kept following Howard, and eventually he did move back to the mainland. So police contacted where he lived now, and they followed him as well. Um, And actually, he was followed to Europe twice by the FBI. So they basically just, like, permanently tracked him, but he never really did anything again. Um, He was never linked to any crime ever again. Um, His wife did say their son died, and they're like, maybe him, if he is it, becoming like a born again Christian, becoming religious would be a life event that would make you stop. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, So police only did have circumstantial evidence and nothing concrete on Howard. So they can't, they're just like, we can't charge him because anything you bring up, we can be like, oh, he has a vasectomy. What? I think I looked it up. (laughs) Five million men in the U.S. have vasectomies. (laughs) Yeah. um, And Howard did die in 2003 from kidney failure in California. Um, in 2016, Honolulu police tried to retest anything they could, and they also created a database that would allow things to be tested when new technology is available. So it could help cold cases and new cases going forward, but to this day, no one's ever been charged or convicted of the Honolulu strangling serial killings. Um, and that is the murders of Vicki Purdy, Regina Sakamoto, Denise Hughes, Louise Medeiros, and Linda Pesci. And we also briefly talked about the murder of Lisa Ow as well. Wow. That's a, a, that's a puzzling one, you mm-hmm. know? Because I feel like so many things are so fitting for Howard, but then at the same time, there are things that don't fit or there are other people that look really good. And would you be able to just stop? Which, I mean, you could. Um, yeah. I don't know. And if you watch Breaking Homicide, um, they, and I don't know if this is editing, again, I'm just a disclaimer on these, like, true crime shows, um, mm-hmm. they did have most of the police people they interviewed say they fully believed it was Howard, and they even had the DA at the time be like, I fully believe it was Howard, um, wow. but I just didn't have anything to charge him, and they did, because mm-hmm. they, Omar Sakamoto was, they, like, interviewed him and talked to him. 
Um, and like they did come and be like, it's Howard who killed your sister. They're like, we think we solved this. There's just not enough evidence, which I don't no. really love that. Like, no. <laughs> and they yeah. had like, they had um, like Louis come and like talk to him and be like, I really believe it was Howard. And I'm like, but, but you don't know. I mean, it like, if you don't have enough to, to charge him, him but... yeah. But if you don't have enough to charge him, you shouldn't be telling victims' families, like, oh, it was probably him. Yeah, and maybe they just wanted to be like, it's him, to, like, give Omar, like, yeah. some closure. But, like, in that, like, they believe it was Howard because of, like, the van and the vasectomy and, like, the where he lived and worked and, like, all that. I mean, it does add up really well. Yeah. Um, but this is just one of those cases where it's, like, from the 80s and you don't have DNA and so you can't definitively link him and you take it to court and it's, like, but there could be reasonable doubt, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't try maybe at least one of the murders, because if that failed and later mm-hmm. evidence came out, you could try the next one. Um, but again, like, Oahu is a small island, and I don't know yeah, if they felt they could, you know. And I feel like, too, a lot of the, like, circumstantial evidence against him is like compounded among all the murders you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. like if you look at like one specifically would they even have enough circumstantial evidence to even attend you know what i mean like because i feel like it would be even less circumstantial evidence looking at just one and not all three as like a pattern because Mm -hmm. if you're just charging with the one you wouldn't be able to bring up the others and so that might be why they you know chose not to at all um it is obviously a big tourist destination and the murders the known murders i mean within the same MO did happen in a short period of time. So was it someone who was just visiting and was it someone in the military who was stationed yeah. there for, you know, cause they bring that up a lot. Is there like people come for like two years, four years yeah. and then they're gone and it's goodbye. See ya. Like you exactly. never know. Yeah. Wow. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, yeah, Howard does seem very likely, but who knows? The most damning thing with Howard to me, two things really inserting himself into the investigation with the whole Mm -hmm. a psychic told me where to find this body and then led to Linda Pesci like that doesn't really add up to me and then him like scraping the lettering off the back of his car but that could also be like ah shit I already went forward with this and they (laughs) found this body and now there's this like we've seen it before where people are like oh I did this because I thought you you would think it was me you know what I mean like so that's like the most like damning to me but again it's like circumstantial but if he had never inserted himself and said that the psychic told him this which you know is a big red flag and sounds like bullshit but if he had never done that would he have even been a suspect so would these other things have even you know what i mean so it's like this is the big thing that led police to him and then like we see so many times they try to make the evidence fit the person instead of Mm -hmm. using the evidence to find the person so once they had him on their radar for this very big reason now they're looking at all these other little things that could add up versus if you just pick up a stranger on the street and then you try to do the same thing you're also going to find these little things that could add up so and that could be the main thing businesses by the airport there and there's yeah i mean you got cargo i mean it's an island where everything almost a lot of stuff gets shipped in you know what i mean yeah so you got a ton of cargo coming in and out you got a ton of planes coming in and out like i Mm -hmm. mean it could be anybody it's yeah yeah all right so that being said courtney what is your perk of the week 
So my perk of the week is that I got to go to a game at Truist Park. So mm. Kevin and I like to go to new stadiums, arenas, parks, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we are actually San Diego Padres fans because we went one time and we thought it was really cool. And then the pandemic hit and we could only watch baseball. So um, <laughs> we became Padres fans. And so they were playing in Atlanta against the Braves. Um, so we went and we got to go see the game. We did lose which was a bummer, but it was oh. fun. It was a nice stadium. I got a hot dog, got some beer. You know, the typical things you get time. when <laughs> you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. We got to spend the weekend in Atlanta, just kind of explore a little bit. I got some kava because Kevin mm. was like, I looked up a kava near us. And I was like, you're speaking my love language right here. <laughs> um, Don't quote me on this. I need to double check. I'm pretty sure I saw a kava's coming to Turkey Creek. We're getting two. Oh. I told you that, Jacqueline. I sent uh, that to you. What? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we used to have Zoe's Kitchens, which are owned by the same people, and we're getting Kavas. So we're getting one um, on Bearden Hill and one in Turkey Creek. That is very exciting. I'm glad someone shared that with me. <laughs> I don't know if this is positive. I'm like, I sent you that Instagram story. <laughs> I knew it was in my brain from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, oh so boy. they're converting to like former restaurants to Kava's, but they're not open yet. And so mm. I need it to open. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, Kava is delicious. But yeah, that is my perk of the week. Jacqueline, what's your perk of the week? Um, so I'm going to do a Courtney and give a preemptive perk of the week. Um, so I do have my spa day this afternoon that Andrew bought me for Christmas. So here I am in May finally <laughs> using it because life is busy and, you know. Um, so yeah, so it's a three-hour spa day. So I'm getting a massage and a facial and there's like a hand and foot um, pressure point massage. thing. I don't know. what. No, it's like a reflexology mm. i may be making up that word it, i think they're like i guess kind of massage but it's like, like acupuncture to, without the needles i think so yeah i'm probably okay. making all this up but i have no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> so um, it's included in the package that he got me i don't know but yeah so i'm doing that this afternoon so i'm very um excited for that hopefully it'll be nice and relaxing while it's going to be a hundred damn degrees outside in may so yeah, yeah, it was hot yesterday too. It was whew, it was a scorcher. I really desperately want another facial, but I just can't afford it right now. For being honest, <laughs> it's like 150 bucks for an hour. Like I can't. Yeah, one of those things that's a little hard to like just splurge on. You know, like yeah. for the wedding, I was like, it's for the wedding. I gotta look pretty. Um, and then I said I was gonna get one for my birthday, but I'm just like, okay, that's an expensive birthday to me gift. I gotta <laughs> So And now Courtney's recovering from the wedding and the honeymoon, so she's like, oh, now I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kevin and I were just looking, like, we're fine on money, but we were, like, looking at everything we spend, like, what can we cut out? Like, yeah, mostly our biggest spender is we go out on the weekends and drink and spend too yep. much money um not too much because we're still it's not like we're broke like we have money it's just we need to save money because Kevin's car is about to break down so Courtney's like I pay my bills okay guys <laughs> I know well sometimes like people say that and they're like legit I'm like no we like have money like we yeah. have money it's just we still have a little bit left over from the hotel from Hawaii because we didn't stay for mm-hmm. two weeks so 
we just got to pay that off. It'll be paid off in like two months. But it's just like one of those things where we had to sit down and make an Excel spreadsheet of everything yep. we spend. And it was like, yeah, I can't afford a $150 facial right Yeah. Now. You're like, maybe, maybe we'll save that for later. Yeah. Once That'll be my, um, once we're like, oh, all the wedding honeymoons paid off. That'll be my treat to myself is go more in debt. So. Exactly. That's what you do, right? It's the American Genius. way. So if you want to tell us what you spend too much money on, mm-hmm. um, who you think the Honolulu Strangler is, uh, you know, whatever. You guys, know. we love to talk to you about whatever. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod, on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod, that's C-A-F-F Crimes Pod. We are on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. You can email us at caffeinatedcrimespod at gmail.com. We are also on YouTube and TikTok and just search our name you'll find us our logo looks the same everywhere you know we're easy to find yeah we are um and if you want to give us a review on apple or review on spotify that just helps us get noticed um Mm -hmm. but in the meantime go have a cup of coffee and don't commit a crime